Amen. Amen. So um, as a teenager, I remember getting my license and starting to drive and then on into my 20s. And, and I, listen, I, I remember just one thing kind of stood out to me, uh, lots of things, but one thing specifically, like I just drove like really fast in the neighborhood, had my music really loud, right? Right. The solo barrack kicker comps, right? Just rocking my back windshield shaking, right? And I just remember just rolling through my neighborhood, other neighborhoods, just kind of what you did as a kiddo, right? Just kind of like you proved how cool you were by how fast you drove. And then something in my life changed. I became a father. And as I began to drive through neighborhoods, what I was thinking was, I wonder if River is going to ride his bike right out the driveway into the road. I wonder as I drove down other people's streets, I just imagined, what if Josiah's chasing the ball and he just doesn't realize that he's left the yard and he's walked out in the street? Something changed. It, It wasn't. Right. I mean, when I look back, I mean, I, I was concerned probably a little bit about getting a ticket occasionally or really get probably get in trouble with my dad. But long term, like that didn't change me, like just laws and knowing those laws like it just didn't. But man, when I became a dad, something about my heart changed. And it was like I no longer wanted to obey the speed limit and be aware of that on accident. I did it on purpose. Like there's intentionality, something again in my heart had changed. Because I began to think, man, if other people feel the way about their children or grandchildren the way I feel about my kids, then I can only imagine how much they must love them. And I know that when my kids are out playing, I sure hope people are going to drive slow because my kids at any moment may run out in the street or, or follow that ball in the road. And my heart just began to change. Again, it wasn't on accident. There was, it was on purpose. I, I don't know about you as you come this morning, as you think about easter and christ's death burial and resurrection maybe you think like man i i'm glad it happened but i'm not sure like how it should transform me or why it's such a big deal or why are people seemingly so excited i want to be excited but like man if i'm being honest today i'm just not really sure why or what's all behind that today i hope and pray that you and i could see this big truth That God doesn't send his son Jesus to live and die and be raised on accident. It's actually on purpose. And the reason why is because you and I cannot redeem or rescue ourselves. Maybe it just simply I might say it like this. You can't rescue yourself. Jesus had to do it and he did. You and I can't rescue ourselves. Jesus had to do it and he did. So this morning, we're going to be continuing. We've been walking through, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. It's Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, people who would know a lot about all the Old Testament rules. And he talks to them, telling them that, guess what? The one that we had waited for all throughout the Old Testament, he's come. His name was Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is actually God in the flesh. So we're going to just continue our way through Matthew's gospel. Uh, I fast forwarded just through a couple of verses as we come here to Matthew 20. And we're going to pick up this morning just verses 17 to 19. Lord willing, we'll pick up some of those others that we missed um, in the weeks to come. But listen to this, just this first truth again as we wrestle today. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. Jesus' death wasn't an accident. Look what happens. Begin to pick up with me in verse 17 and 18 of Matthew 20. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, his 12 followers, and on the way he says to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. 
This is now the third time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus told his followers that he's going to die and be raised again. The fourth and final time will take place in Matthew chapter 26, verse 2. And Jesus just continually, but notice where he's headed, right? And notice again, the text says that they're going up to Jerusalem, right? Again, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem. What's the big deal about going to Jerusalem? Well, the Jerusalem was where the temple was, and that's where all the Old Testament, that's where the sacrifices took place. That's where people came to worship God. All of that happens in Jerusalem. And since that takes place there, guess what? All the most religious people, the priests, the the scribes, the people that came up with the law, all of these people are there. And they have something in common. They hate Jesus. They hate him for who he is and what he's preached and his miracles continue to testify even though they want to put him down. And so Jesus says, I want you guys to know that we're headed there, right? And they remind Jesus at times like, Jesus, pull back, dude. Don't you know what's going to happen if we get there? They hate you there. But Jesus just has this intentionality. He's just this man on a mission, right? He's intentional. It's not accidental that he's going to Jerusalem. There's something about, right? Some of the gospels say that he set his face toward it. It's like this conviction. Like, man, that's where I'm headed. And so notice what Jesus says. Verse 18, we're going up to Jerusalem. And he calls himself here, he says, and the Son of Man, which has all kinds of imagery from the Old Testament, Daniel 7, places like that, promise that there's going to come this ruler, this Son of Man, who's going to rule over the nations. God's going to give him authority, and, and all the people are going to worship him. And it's crazy, right? Because, again, Jesus, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. They have an idea of who the Son of Man is. He's this kingly figure who's going to come in. He's going to throw off Roman oppression. He's going to get the Jewish people freedom. Except when we get to the next chapter of Matthew 21, instead of riding in on that victorious horse, he actually comes to them on a colt, on a donkey. This humility. This is not the king that they, not even the disciples, expect. And notice what happens. Jesus says that when we get there, Right. He's going to be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. This this delivering over. I would love to tell you that like this happened by some outsiders, but actually this was an insider work. It was actually one of these guys, one of the twelve. It was a guy that had walked with Jesus, a guy that he had loved, cared for. I don't know if you know his name or not. What's his name, church? Judas. Right, I mean, likely, let's be honest, you, you probably don't even know many Judases. Like, there's, that's just a name that's kind of like blackballed, so to speak. Like, that's, it, it's from this story. And this guy is the one that's going to deliver him over. And remember, he does it in the most subtle, but also of the most intimate ways. He comes up to Jesus at night. Do you remember how he identified who Jesus was? What did he do? Kissed him on the cheek. Jesus says, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I never forget Mark Lowe, who preached here actually last Sunday, standing in this pulpit many years ago and said, How close can a man or woman, boy or girl, come to heaven and still yet go to hell? He said, Judas Iscariot kissed him on the cheek. This is serious business. So this happens, right? This betrayal takes Thursday night after they had celebrated the Passover meal, which. And they've gone out in the garden and prayed, and, and, and he's delivered over. And so all of throughout the night, these scandals, there's five trials. They happen throughout the night, which is really sketchy, let's be honest. And it happens throughout. And so this, this first part begins to unfold. Um, we're going to kind of just at times jump forward, right? Because this, again, Matthew 20, 17, 19 is our key text. And Jesus is saying things like he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death. We've got to ask, well, does that actually happen? 
Matthew records right after Jesus has betrayed him. Pick up if you would now just for a moment here in Matthew 26, verse 65 to 66. So this happens late Thursday night, right? Jesus has been arrested. It says then, he, he, Jesus has asked this question like, hey, listen, are you telling us that you're actually the son of man? You're the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He says, it is as you say. And I tell you the truth. You will see the son of man at the right hand of the father and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest hears it, and it says that he rips his robes. It's a sign of, like, blasphemous statement. You, a man, are saying that you're God. You're saying that you're the son of the blessed one. You're God. He says, this man has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. And he asks the rest, again, the rest of the rulers that are around there. Verse 66 of Matthew 26. What is your judgment? And what is their answer? What do they say, church? He deserves death. The very thing that Jesus had prophesied in our chapter today, here in Matthew 20, verse 18, they will condemn him to death. It finds its fulfillment here six chapters later. It's, let's be honest. I mean, like, isn't that a stinging statement? He deserves death? Like, Think back with me if you just for a moment, if you just hit like the ultimate rewind and found yourself all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, where God tells the man, the first man and woman on the face of the earth, Adam and Eve, said, listen, when you eat of the tree of the, frog, the, the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil, right, the day you eat of it, you will surely what? You'll die. And these guys disobey God, and, and guess what? No, they deserve death. And because of that, the wages of sin is what? It's death, isn't it? And death comes not only to Adam and Eve, but now death comes to all of us. We all deserve death. Why? Because sinners deserve death. The guilty, like me, and if you're being honest, like you, because of your thoughts and your actions and your attitudes and all the things that you've ever said, done, places you've been that don't honor the Lord, those things, because of those, they deserve death. But Jesus... He's never done anything deserving of death. Jesus is sinless. He he lives a perfect life. He never gives in a temptation once. He always submits and obeys the Father. Guys, this is a moment of substitution. It's a moment when someone steps into your place as a sinner and is willingly going to be condemned for you, for me. But it's not just being condemned in the eyes of man. Something greater is happening with the cross. Other people will die. Other martyrs will die. But there's only one that dies and takes the very wrath of God. There's only one who suffers God's judgment. It's an amazing moment. It reminds me of the 1895 hymn. Who read these words. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not that it was he what was for me he died on Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found what, church? Liberty. Freedom. At Calvary. It's just this moment of... of The one who's sinless is being condemned to death. He's our substitute. But Jesus isn't finished predicting what's going to happen. Look with me further. Back to verse 19 of Matthew 20. 
He says, and after this takes place, after he's delivered over to the chief priests, they're in fact going to do something. They're going to deliver him over to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be flogged and going to be crucified. We'll come to the, the latter part of that. But again, listen to these four things. Delivered over to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. Did it actually happen? Well, seven chapters later, Matthew 27, these very things are fulfilled. Look what happens. Verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. So this is early, early Friday morning. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. The very thing, right, that Jesus said is going to happen. They're going to deliver him over to the Gentiles, right? That takes place right here, Matthew 27, verse 2. Why? Why deliver him over to the Romans? Why don't the Jews just handle it? Because John chapter 18, verse 31, says to us that the Jews did not have the authority to put anyone to death. So they have to call in someone. They have to subcontract it out, so to speak. And they call in the Romans who, who have that authority and that power. And Jesus is delivered over to this Pilate, this governor over the region of Judea. And it's under, under the hand of Pilate these other things, mock, flog, crucified, begin to unfold. Look what happens here. Again, so we hear about this mocking, the flogging, and the crucifixion. In Matthew 27, verse 26, it says that Pilate releases for them Barabbas, but he having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The word flogged is the same word for scourged. It was, it's almost really, it's probably indescribable, let's be honest. They take a man and strip him. They chain his hands to a, a wooden post. And the Roman soldiers come out with these long whips that on the end of them is called the cat of nine tails. And on the, these, the, at the end of these, they, they contain little pieces of bone and metal. And they would take the whips and they would hit that individual and it would lodge in there and would rip, begin to rip it out, exposing intestines, exposing bone. Jesus is experiencing this. This flogging, I mean, like, let's be honest. Like, I, I had to ask here, like, why would anybody experience this? Not alone. Why would anybody submit themselves? Because Jesus says, I have authority to lay down my life and take it up again. Like, I'm willingly giving my life. Why would anybody do this? Have you thought about that? I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I don't know about you, but throughout my life, I've tried to, like, avoid pain. Right? Like, I try to, like, if things are hard. Like, if the school bully was around, like, I wouldn't make eye contact. Like, woo. Right? Like, I mean, I was staying out. I mean, I'm guessing many of you, you've, you've been trying to find best ways you can to avoid paying any more taxes than you need to pay. Some of you may cross the line. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we, we don't want to experience it, right? I mean, there's just times like when you maybe when you get your GPS out and you're playing around and there's like tolls and you're like, well, man, I'll drive another 20 miles. I don't pay that 30 cents, right? I mean, like we just want to avoid things that we don't like, suffering, pain, whatever, but why? Why Jesus here? Jesus isn't avoiding death, guys. He's walking toward it. Jesus isn't avoiding death. He's, in fact, walking toward it. This has to begin to tell us this death, this isn't on accident. This is on purpose. But not only that Jesus says he's going to be flogged, he also says that he's going to be mocked. Well, this happens later there in Matthew 27. Pick up with you would, verse 28. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. Right? The scarlet robe is what majesties, rulers, kings wore, right? 
They're mocking him. They, sh- they got the crown of thorns, right? Say, so you, you think you're a king? We'll give you a king's crown. They put the reed in his hand, right? The scepter, the, the sign of authority and ruling, but it's a mockery. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. Did you hear it? They what? They mocked him. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him again. The very words that Jesus prophesied here in verse 19 of Matthew 20 are coming to fulfillment. Can you imagine just for a moment the restraint of God, the restraint of Christ? I'm just going to go on a limb right here and guess that any of us as parents, if somebody walked up and spit on our child in the face, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Just being straight with you. And God is restraining himself. Jesus, who is God, is restraining himself. This is beyond my imagination. Why? There must be something so serious about our sin that there's no other way that God would allow His Son to be spit in the face. That God, the perfect Father, wouldn't come to His Son's defense. Can you imagine as a father standing, as a mother standing back and letting your son be treated that way? He withholds Himself. Why? Why? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that today if you would believe in Him, you will not suffer. You shall have eternal life. Oh, church, oh, how He loves us. It reminds me of the story of a young boy. I don't know if you have any young boys or young girls or grandchildren or or maybe a child in your class some of them just obstinate just challenging at times right some of you are those people right if you don't know them that means you probably are right Uh, but listen that this child he just man mom and dad just say hey we're gonna eat at this time we expect you to be at the table have your hands washed be ready to eat ready to rock and roll consistently just just disobey just kept playing kept doing whatever he wanted and so they said listen we want you to know there's gonna be consequences so one night, the little boy comes late to the table after they've called and asked and asked. And when he sits down at the table, he notices that before him lies a plate with a single piece of bread. And in his cup is not his favorite drink. Instead, it's just water. But what makes it harder is he looks around. He sees mom and dad's plates are absolutely packed full. He feels the weight of it in that moment. And then something startling happens. His father reaches over and takes his son's plate and puts it before him. And the father takes his full plate and smilingly with love in his eyes sets it before his son. The little boy later recounts, he tells his story. It was then I realized such the greatness of God's love for us. What a moment. Guys, this is God's Son taking your place. This is God's Son taking your place and Him taking it on the cross. But not only is He mocked, not only is He flogged and that scourging, Jesus lived through it because some people are actually killed at this point. But the text now tells us, Jesus says, I I want you to know, guys, that I'm also going to be crucified. 
It's amazing that the Son of Man will be crucified, but these very words happen in Matthew 27. And we don't have time to zoom in on the entire story, but maybe I'll just give you one account from Jesus on the cross from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. that Friday. And we hear this as Matthew's account starts to come to a close. Verse, 40, verse 46 of Matthew 27. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Man, I just keep asking why. I read this story. It's like, why? Guys, because Jesus in his great love for you steps in your place. He experiences separation from God. That you and I might know this truth. Jesus was handed over that you and I could be brought in. Jesus was condemned that you and I could be justified. Jesus was betrayed so that we could be adopted. Jesus was killed so that we could live. Jesus suffered alone so that you and I could enjoy fellowship with God and one another forever. Jesus was rejected So that we might be accepted as we sing here. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? But on that cross, listen, listen to what the Son of God cries out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does Jesus cry out these words? So that you and I never have to. That we never experience separation from the Father. Jesus takes the wrath and the punishment of God. Guys, His death is no accident. He dies of His own will and His own good pleasure. That's why how much God loves sinners. That's how much God loves you. That's a serious, holy God who's satisfying His justice with His Son and yet at the same time can show us the love and grace and mercy that He desires to show us. Guys, surely... Surely, if being a good enough person or coming to church enough would like get you in with God. Then God's made a mistake. Jesus has made a mistake. But I want you to know that God is no fool. He knows that you and I cannot be saved by accident. We only can be saved on purpose. I want you to know that, listen, guys, we we wrestle in a culture. Might we experience... Some of these things, the mocking, the flogging, the crucifixion, I, I don't know. I know brothers and sisters throughout the world are experiencing those type of being literally put to death for their faith. But I want you to be aware the landscape of the United States of America in which you live is changing. In fact, you just would take one example, the NCAA tournament. I don't know if you knew it or not, but this past week, USA Today wrote an article saying that Oral Roberts University, because of their stance on traditional marriage between one man and one woman, what was stated in their handbook, they thought they should not be even allowed to be in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if you saw it this past week, but there's law legislation right now that's attacking Christian universities and seminaries. They're attacking their Title IV federal funding. The point is, listen, either you succumb or, or, or bow down to how we view marriage between one man and one woman or we want to let you know that the funds will dry up. It's interesting that one of the teams in the national championship tonight or tomorrow night, Baylor University, is actually one of those schools that's listed. 
Guys, I want you to awaken up and realize that the mocking is here. And I think if we would just be wise to say, if the mocking has started, it won't be long until the flogging and other things start to follow. It may cost you your jobs. It may cost you relationship with family. It may cost us our tax status. It may cost... Right? Let's just be honest. If this time next year when you give the church, it's no longer tax deductible, you're still going to give? We must realize again, this intensity is coming toward us as God's people, but the good news is God never forsakes us. He uses the refining to sharpen us and to make us more like Christ. But the good news is Jesus isn't finished at death. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty stoked today. My wife's working on preparing a meal. We're going to go and eat after this. And I love it sometimes when she says, Blake, you guys, just save your forks. I'm like, yes, yes, boys, this is it, right? And Judah, who's not eating one good vegetable, perks up and like, it's like Lazarus out of the grave and he's alive and he's like, let's eat, right? Jesus again says here, I want you to know that I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. But I want you guys to know that there's hope because on the third day, I'm going to be raised again. Guys, Jesus' resurrection wasn't an accident. It wasn't. That's In fact, that's the very thing Jesus says. And he will be raised on the third day. It's the hope. I'm coming back. Death is indeed the fair p- payment for sin. But death is what everyone deserves and what we all receive because sin is an attack on God's holiness. And therefore, as a just judge, he renders the right judgment and that is eternal separation from Him. Indeed, our sin is cosmic treason. But Jesus is declaring to us, I've got victory over your sin. I've got victory over your greatest enemy, death. I mean, that's what we were singing this morning so many times. Just, Man, I just thought about, do you realize that Christ's resurrection guarantees your resurrection if you're in Christ? You celebrate this morning your own eternity. Hallelujah of no good works on our own. It's by grace through faith that you might be saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It is a free gift today that you could receive hearing just like Caden's testimony. Your sin is a big deal. It separates you from God, but God in His love sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross and take your and my judgment. And He was buried. But on the third day, he was raised again to declare that God had accepted the payment and you and I could truly receive forgiveness. It's this hope. And this takes place in Matthew chapter 28, this very talking about the third day. Now, after the Sabbath, beginning verse 1 of Matthew 28, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and set on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. What church? As he said. Come see the place where he lay. Guys, it's this hope. Maybe as you sit here and contemplate the resurrection. And its validity. Maybe I would just say a few things to you this morning. One is, if you've noticed, right, that the tomb was empty. Come see that place where he lay. 
it's interesting, right? It's, it's, it's actually startling that all four Gospels, so when all four Gospels do something, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all do something, that's major. Guess what? Matthew 28 does it, Mark 16 does it, Luke 24 does it, John 20 does it. And what is it? It's that who comes to the tomb first? Who came first? Women. Why is that a big deal? Because in that day and time, their testimony was not accepted in court. So if you were wanting to prove the validity of a story, you would not put ladies there. You'd put men there. But in fact, what that does is actually confirm the authenticity all the more. Because if you were redacting the story or rewriting it, you would put the men there, right? But this is women. In fact, there's over six sources all within years of this very thing that testify. Listen, historians tell us that typically if there's two historians that write about an event, right, and they've got some credibility, it adds serious weight to what they're being said. This is six sources, different individuals. Third, again, thinking about this empty tomb. Do you know the Jewish people, the, the, the guards who were there come back and tell them, they say, well, listen, we're just going to tell the people that they came and stole his body away. Why? Because they can't deny the tomb is empty. They're in agreement the tomb is empty. Secondly, the appearances of Jesus, guys, testify that he's actually raised from the dead. I mean, I don't have time today, but 1 Corinthians 15, it says that after Jesus' resurrection, he, he appears to Peter. Then he appears to the twelve. Then he appears to more than 500 brothers and sisters, many who are still alive, though some have already died at that point. But he says, listen, they're all around. Then he appears to James, his half-brother, who writes the, the book, uh, book of James. And then he comes, and last of all, he appears to the Apostle Paul. What's my point? Well, I think it leads to another place, and it's their faith. History tells us that of the twelve, right, then you add Paul in there as well, but of the twelve, right, Judas hung himself. John dies seemingly of old age, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, as he writes there the book of Revelation. But of all these other guys, they're all killed for their faith. And what's interesting is that when it comes time to die, none of them recant. I mean, surely if this like, 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 hey guys, we've been keeping this up long enough. Are you going to give your life for it? These guys are convinced that Jesus Christ is actually raised from the dead. So I just want to give you a little testimony of history. Bearing witness that what actually the New Testament records actually happened. Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised again. What hope? Maybe today as we walk away, maybe just a couple things. First to the non-believer. Will you come? Will you come and bow before the one who lived a sinless life, was crucified and buried on the third day, raised again? Or will you stay as you are and stand before God in your sin? That's a high hand to God to say, I see your sacrifice, yet I reject it. I am good enough on my own. Paul tells us, as he writes to the church at Thessalonica, it's only Jesus who can rescue us from the wrath that is to come. There's judgment. I compel you this day. Flee the wrath that is to come. Cling only to Christ, repenting of your sins, looking unto Him alone. I compel you. I invite you to do as the disciples did that Sunday morning. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. It was a worshiping, right? It doesn't mean their faith was perfect. Notice they still doubt. But man, they are worshiping Jesus. Guys, I think the answer to getting our, our eyes off of everything else is to find someone that's actually more valuable than everything else. 
This Jesus who had been crucified, buried, and raised, these guys who had been in hiding now come and worship him as the true Messiah, the one he had testified and predicted he would be. As you ask today, I would ask you, how are you worshiping? I compel you to worship alone. Time with your, you and the Word of God, praying, hearing from God's Word. I, I compel you to worship with your family or others you may live with, spending time discipling them, pouring in, talking about the Scriptures, praying together, singing together. We invite you to come and, and weekly gather, as the New Testament did. The church gathered on Sunday morning. Why? It's the day Christ was raised. Right? It's a break from Saturday, the Sabbath. They now come and gather on the first day of the week to remember that Jesus is actually risen. So we invite you to come and sing with us, to pray, to hear the word preached, to give, to fellowship with one another. I compel you, as you consider your worship, are, are you serving? Do you minister here? Are you a part of, of ministering to this community and helping us take the gospel? Maybe God's calling you into missions and you want to be a part of a mission trip or, or maybe God's doing something greater. Maybe it's long term for you. I want to compel you today to worship. Secondly, I, I want us to remind ourselves as we hear this story today of Jesus' death and resurrection, they weren't on accident, that God's actually in control, guys. And if God is in control of the worst of moments, right? I mean, this is God's son, sinless, dying on the cross. If God is ruling and reigning over those moments, if he brings good from those moments, then can you and I not trust him to bring good out of our moments that are so much less than that? Can you not trust today? Can I, can, would God just give you and I greater faith? Might we just ask that, God? Would you just give me more faith? I know that you're in control, Lord. I know that you rule. I mean, that's what the, the early church is, is wrestling with. Right, listen to the moment here, Acts chapter 2. Peter's preaching, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through you, through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus a delivered up according to. So why? That same verbiage we've heard today, delivered up. Why? Delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is how they understood all of life. Acts chapter 4, the church is suffering. Guess what they realize? God, you're in control. You will, you're the one that controls, Lord. No matter what I see happening in the government or the ruling parties, no matter what I see taking place in society and culture around me, God, I know today that you are actually in control. So I choose to trust you. I hope in you today. You are my faith. You are my stronghold. You are the rock upon which I stand. Because if you wait for your circumstances to dictate your feelings, emotions, or joy, you are going to be wrecked. But I compel you to come to a God who sends His Son not to die on accident, not to be raised on accident, but it's actually on purpose. Have you come to worship Him? I invite you to do so. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. May your word, may you use it, God, to transform lives. May the gift of faith be in this place, Lord God, that people would hear this gospel and repent and believe. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen your church to have courage to realize that no matter how bleak our situation looks, that you're actually in control. Help us, Lord, worship you. 
Increase our faith. Draw many to you today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.